Today's reading is Psalm 34. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from all of them. He protects his, all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. This is God's word. Morning, everyone. My name's Scott. I'm the student minister here at CCM, and uh, it's my privilege to take us through Psalm 34 uh, together. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, at times like this, we feel the need we have uh, for you to speak to us, uh, for you to speak truth and life uh, into our lives. And so we pray that you do that now as we look at this psalm together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on Friday, uh, we marked 75 years since the end of World War II in Europe. Somewhat subdued celebrations, but celebrations nonetheless. And what an experience it must have been to live through the very first VE day. When after five long years of war, peace was finally declared. When a victory that so often uh, looked far from certain was secured. When people who become used to, to limits on their freedom were able to dance in the street all night. When the awful reality of war was gone and it was time to celebrate. I mean, it must have been a wonderful experience for those who lived through such hard times. I know how we long for a day like that at the minute. Well, the Bible tells us that if we're trusting in Jesus, we have experienced a deliverance that is much deeper and much more real, 
even than the victories of E.E. Day. A deliverance not, not from the troubles of this world, but from our ultimate enemies of sin and death. A deliverance that can be experienced by anyone now if they turn and put their trust in Christ. In Psalm 34, David had experienced uh, the wonderful deliverance of God, uh, the deliverance from a deadly enemy. And as he reflects on that experience uh, here in Psalm 34, um, it teaches us how we should respond rightly to God's deliverance of us through the Lord Jesus. Three things we're going to see in Psalm 34, uh, three things it teaches us. It teaches us firstly to praise the Lord because he has delivered you. It teaches us to fear the Lord for he is good. And it teaches us to trust the Lord because he will deliver the righteous. Firstly then, praise the Lord because he has delivered you. The title of this psalm uh, tells us a lot about the setting, doesn't it? it? Tells us that it's of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. So Psalm, psalm 34 is probably in response uh, to uh, the story in 1 Samuel 21. Um, David is on the run from Saul, uh, the king of Israel at the time. And he's gone to one of Saul's enemies and um, hoping to get some help uh, for in, in his uh, as he runs away from Saul. Psalm 34 uh, names this, this king as Abimelech, which just means son of the king. Um, if you look back in 1 Samuel 21, uh, there he's King Achish of Gath. But it must have slipped David's mind as he, as he goes looking for help uh, to, at this king, that although um, the Philistine king uh, is an enemy of Saul, well, he's even more an enemy of David himself. Because David has killed far more Philistines than Saul ever did. He's, uh, David is in enemy territory before an enemy king. And he should really uh, be executed there and then. But he wasn't. He pretended to be mad and the king let him go. It's a, it's a strange story if you read back in, in 1 Samuel. But as David reflects on it here, um, he knows it, it, it wasn't his cunning or quick thinking that got him out of that tight spot. It was the Lord and the Lord alone who delivered him. Because of that experience, David will never be the same again. Let's read his words uh, from verse one again. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David just bursts out in praise for what the Lord has done for him, the salvation that he has experienced. And you can hear that sense of joy and celebration in David's words. And he calls on others, doesn't he, in verse three. Um, it's as if he's saying, come on, let's, let's praise this God together. Let's stand on our doorsteps and clap our hands and bang our saucepans for all that he has done. Verse four, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. 
He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of of the Lord camps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. See, David has experienced God's wonderful deliverance. David sought the Lord, called out to him, and the Lord answered him, delivered him from all his fears, heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The Lord saved him from an almost certain death, and David is overjoyed. As you think about it, it, it's not objectively that um, all of David's troubles had suddenly melted away. You know, it, it doesn't mean that if David had a list of all the things that he feared, that he could take every single one of them off uh, after this experience. No, it's not that. He, he, he's escaped from one king, but he's still on the run from King Saul. And he'll still have plenty of other tight, uh, tight scrapes in the rest of his life. But, but the experience of deliverance now for David is so wonderful that in his joy, it is, it is as if none of those other troubles uh, matter right now. Imagine a bit like this. Imagine if at, at tonight's big press conference, um, the message is this, unlikely, but imagine. Um, coronavirus is gone, completely gone, not even a trace of it gone. And it is gone forever. Your lives can return to normal just like that. We, we'd rejoice, wouldn't we? We would, we would be overjoyed at the extraordinary deliverance. It would feel as if all our troubles had just, had just gone. Now, of course, there would still be troubles that each of us would have. Uh, there would still be the, the long-term impact uh, of the virus on the economy, on the nation's well-being. Uh, we would still face other things in the future. And yet, we would rejoice in the deliverance now. That's what David is doing here. Uh, God has saved him wonderfully. The big threat that David was facing has gone. And David takes his experience of deliverance and says that this is a promise for all God's people. See how he moves from his experience in verse 4 and verse 6 and applies it to others in verse 5 and verse 7. It's as if he's saying, well, if God can do this for me, then he can do it for others. How does that apply to us? And well, well, God hasn't saved us from a Philistine king. And he hasn't guaranteed his people protection uh, from coronavirus or from any other threat uh, that we might face. But if you're trusting in Jesus, he has delivered you from sin and death. The big threat that we face. We can easily forget that, can't we, when when other dangers feel more real, uh, when we're stuck in our homes when we're worried about our health and the health of those we love, when we're worried about our jobs and what the future will bring. But what the Lord has done for you, if you're a Christian, is extraordinary. And our response, like David's response, should be one of praise. Praise him. Thank you, God. It is truly wonderful what you have done. And we should call others uh, to praise him as well. I mean, just think if, if he can do that for you and me, well, he will do it for others as well. 
Psalm 34 teaches us to praise the Lord because he has delivered you. That initial extravagant response then shifts slightly in verse 8. Life changes when you've experienced God's deliverance. And so this psalm teaches us, secondly, to fear the Lord because he is good. See, what does it look like to live this side of God's deliverance? Well, it looks like fearing God. Fearing him not in the sense of terror or dread, not like the fears of verse 4, but fear that is reverence. Understanding who God is, how great he is. And living in a way that seeks to please him. And before we, we object to the whole idea of fearing God, well, look how this life is described in these verses. Three features, I think, we see here. Firstly, fearing God is the good life. Because it's following the good God. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David's saying, you want the good life? You want to be blessed, happy? Well, fear the Lord. Secondly, fearing God is life in the real world. I mean, it's not just um, in our heads, but it is tangibly lived out in our real experience. See that? Taste and see that the Lord is good. A life fearing God is not a disappointment. It is real life. And thirdly, fearing God is, is life experiencing God's provision. Verses 9 and 10. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. See, it, it, the picture there is if the lions are struggling to find food, things are bad. The situation is bad. But even then, God's people will not go without. And we want that, don't we? We want a life that is good, that is real, that we have what we need. Well, how do we live like that? Fearing the Lord. And David gives us a, a little lesson in what fearing the Lord looks like practically. Uh, he does it in the sort of style of a proverb, um, which means as we, as we read these following verses, um, it's not a promise, but a pattern. It's not a promise that this will happen every time A plus B always equals C. But it is a pattern, a blueprint uh, for living. Verse 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. See, fearing the Lord here looks like changed words and changed actions. Oh, I don't know what you think of that. It sounds a little bit less exciting than the deliverance uh, of the opening verses. And yet here's what life looks like for those who have experienced God's deliverance. Here's what the good life looks like. Think back again to, to VE Day. After that euphoria at the declaration uh, of peace, will life find a new rhythm? It's not dancing in the streets every day. No, people, people go back to their jobs. 
family life uh, is restored and the work of building the nation up again begins. That's what everyone has been fighting for uh, the whole time. That's what they've been longing for, the good days, the days of freedom and peace. And in a similar way, those who have experienced God's deliverance, well, we need to learn how to live as free people. And here, that means changed words and changed actions. And the New Testament tells us that's still true uh, of New Testament believers, of those who trust in Jesus. 1 Peter 3, uh, 10 to 12, quotes verses 12 to 14 and says, This is still how God's delivered people should live. This is what the blessed life looks like, even as we trust uh, in Jesus' death to pay the penalty for our sins. As we take refuge in him and seek him, well, we're to fear him so that our words and our actions are changed. Look, that's, that's not easy. Most of us, I guess, are speaking fewer words at the minute than we would normally uh, as we're shut up in our homes. But I don't know about you, but although the quantity of my words has come down, I think the quality has also come down. It's the the unkind jibe on a Zoom call, something that I don't think I'd ever say to someone's face, but I say it over the internet. It's the, the harsh word to my wife when I, when I don't get my way. It's the impatient demand when my children don't comply with my instructions. It's that sense of looking forward all day to catching up with a friend and yet ending up saying something hurtful or the conversation sort of descending into a squabble. And we all know, don't we, that, that if our words were better, if our words changed, life would be better. And yet that's hard to do. But fearing God means changed words. It also means changed actions. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Well, that's, that's not just an absence of wrong, but a turning to do good. That's not, not merely resisting the urge to hoard, but being generous with what God has given me. Not just um, avoiding procrastination, but actively seeking to use my time to serve others. Maybe making that phone call to someone who, who I know is, could really use a, a friendly voice at the minute, when all I want to do is crash out on the sofa at the end of the day. Even, even reaching out to someone who has hurt you in the past would be a way of pursuing peace. It'd be a good use of lockdown, wouldn't it? To heal a broken relationship. And that, David says, that is the good life. That's what it means to live as someone who's experienced God's deliverance. Fear the Lord, he says, because the Lord is good. And the third and, and final thing this psalm teaches us is to trust the Lord because he protects the righteous. Reading from verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them 
He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. In this third section of the psalm, he he changes angle again. And it would be easy for us uh, to read these verses and think it's all about us trying to be righteous so that God will look kindly upon us. You know, sort of now we've got the idea of fearing the Lord. Uh, Well, now we can start trusting in our own righteousness to get us through. That would be a big mistake. These verses, they are a confident promise that God will deliver the righteous person. The one who lives rightly before God will be seen by God, heard by God, delivered, protected and rescued. In contrast, God is against those who do evil and will blot out their names forever. So what do we do? with promises like that, when bad things still happen to Christians? Well, a couple of things worth noting. The first thing is what this is not. See, this is not a promise that everything will be fine now. Even the righteous person in verse 19 and verse 20 will experience trouble. David's troubles didn't end here. After this incident, neither do our troubles simply disappear when we become a Christian. This is not a promise that nothing will go wrong now. The second thing to acknowledge is that none of us, none of us can claim the label of righteous by ourselves. And so the key to understanding these verses is to recognise that there is one who can claim that label for themselves. There is one and only one person who has always feared God, who has always turned from evil and done what is good. And so as we we read these verses, we must see past ourselves to Jesus. Let me read verse 19 again. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. In John's gospel, um, chapter 19, verse 36, John applies this promise of protected bones to Jesus as he dies on the cross. And if you look in John 19, that's an extraordinary thing to do. Jesus has just cried out, it is finished. He's just died. It couldn't look more hopeless. It couldn't look less like deliverance. It looks like the opposite. It looks like condemnation. But even then, even as Jesus dies, the promise of deliverance for the righteous person remains. 
even as Jesus bears our sin and is condemned in our place, God's promise to deliver the righteous still stands. Jesus faced many troubles, but God delivered him from them all, even death. See, Jesus was delivered from death so that in spite of our failures to fear the Lord rightly, he might deliver us from our fear of sin and death so that we might share in his righteousness so that we would know the joy of his salvation so that we would live lives that truly taste and see that the Lord is good so that we can have confidence that ultimately God will deliver us not because we have fulfilled all righteousness, but because he has. So as you read these verses, don't make the mistake of trusting in your own righteousness. Because that will always, always let you down. Jesus' righteousness will never let you down. His righteousness is what can give us confidence that no matter what happens to you now, God will deliver you. Even death is not the end for the Christian. So Psalm 34 teaches us to praise God for his deliverance, to not let our circumstances cloud out all that he has done for us. It teaches us to fear him, to seek to live in a way that reflects his glory, that shows that we have experienced his deliverance. And it teaches us to trust him, to trust that his righteousness is all that we need. Let me lead us in a prayer that we would do just that. Heavenly Father, as we think of all that you have done for us in the Lord Jesus, our response is one of praise. We praise you so much for that extraordinary deliverance that we need not fear sin and death because you have defeated them in the Lord Jesus. Father, please, in response to that, would our lives look different? Would it change every detail of our lives, our words, our actions as we live in fear of you, the one who has delivered us. And Father, we praise you for the righteousness of Christ that is given to us freely as a gift, those who do not deserve it. Father, please would we trust in him and in him would we know the confidence that you will deliver us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.